Well, reason for the call today, John, is... Welcome to Internal Use Only. Something just came across my desk, John. It is perhaps the best thing I've seen in the last six months. If you have 60 seconds, I'd like to share the idea with you. Got a minute? A podcast for wholesalers. Always be closing. Always be closing. By wholesalers. Blue Horseshoe loves Anacott Steel. Okay, before we get started, I have one question. Has anyone here passed a Series 7 exam? I have a Series 7 license. Good for you. You can get out. Let's cut to the chase. Here's your host, Dan Sullivan. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Internal Use Only Podcast. Today, we are joined by Brian Margolis, who is the founder of PG Wholesaling, where he helps wholesalers run a more simple, intentional, and lucrative wholesaling business. Brian and I chat about all things sales here and wholesaling. He works with individual wholesalers and national sales managers alike, helping to craft a more intentional business. He'll talk about his pillar system, which is the foundation of activity that will be meaningful and actually drive results. So if you are either an individual wholesaler or a national sales manager or desk manager listening in, take a look in the show notes. You'll find his email. Send him a note saying that you heard this podcast and you want to learn more. You will not regret it. I've, I've taken advantage of some of the resources as a you know, salesperson myself, both in wholesaling and in financial technology sales, and they are absolutely worth it. So send him an email, tell them you like the show, and he'll reach out and get back to you with some good resources. So Brian, much appreciated. Thank you for joining. Without further ado, let's send it over to the interview. Let's kick this off. Uh, I always like to get our guests share a little bit more of their background. And when I was taking a look through all of your content and your website and everything, I was truly fascinated by the background, which was an environmental scientist now turned financial wholesaling and sales consultant. So can you tell us a little (laughs) bit more about that background and how that came to be? Yeah. So I grew up wanting to be Jacques Cousteau. Some of you younger people might not remember who that is, but that was like the the guy always under the water, scuba diving, making all the specials. So um, I went to school for marine science, graduate school for fisheries ecology and a couple of courses away, I guess, from being like one of those pretend doctors. Um, but anyway, so I w- my first career was just what I wanted to be in. I was a research scientist. I used to play with the fish and the animals and the uh, under the water and all that kind of stuff and loved it. Still is my passion, still a big scuba diver and sitting here fish tank next to me. They, they won't be able to see it, but uh, that was my thing. And, and I realized a number of years into it that um, if I didn't like having a job in the field I love so much, I probably just wasn't someone who should have had a job. And so one of my coaches one time called me psychologically unemployable. But so I, uh, I, I left, I started a business on the side and I had this part-time business for a lot of years while I was doing that. And then it got to the point where I had to make a decision, you know, I couldn't do both anymore. So I made the jump and started working for myself. And so for the last two decades plus, I've been an entrepreneur, um, which it's funny because when I did it, there was nothing cool about it. People didn't say, oh, cool back then. They called you an idiot. You're leaving a government job for you know to start your own business, and so I, you know I've been an entrepreneur. Um, 
And it was just happenstance. I never knew what wholesaling was. Like most people outside the industry don't know what it is. Um, I just, I, I was at a point where I had a friend of mine, a former business partner who, again, I didn't know he was called a wholesaler. He just, I know when, when he left and we weren't business partners anymore, he moved out to the Midwest to sell mutual funds. That's all I knew. And I knew he was doing good and making a lot of money. And one year he came home for the holidays and we got together and he just kind of asked me to look at his business and I was just blown away. I mean, I, I honestly, when he showed me the compensation, now again, this is probably 2011, um, but when he showed me the compensation plan, I remember saying to him, being from Jersey, I'm just like, dude, why aren't you making a million dollars a year? What's cool, he's, he's, he's since gone on to do that that many times, but so I started just helping him just because he was a friend and it was interesting. And and we wound up, he'd already been doing it for about seven years at that point. And we wound up doubling his business in, in just about two years, um, definitely going against the grain, not doing what I think most wholesalers do. And so after I sold a business in 2013 and, and stopped another one for the first time in a lot of years, I had nothing going on. So you know, some other wholesalers who had reached out to me that he knew, I started helping them a little bit. And, you know, at some point I'm like, man, this is fun. It's easy to get people results. And that was kind of the, you know, the rest is history, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> I'm definitely an outsider, um, good or bad, uh, how people look at that. I've never, I, you know what? I, I, if you always do what you've always done, you're always going to get what you've always gotten. And I feel right. like an industry like wholesaling, if the same wisdom and tactics are continuously applied, it's going to, you know, you might get some runway out of that, but at some point you're going to need to, whether it's a mindset shift or a practice management and changing your daily habits and activity, whether that's shifting, you know, you have to do something different out there. So definitely a good snapshot there. Now I'm, I'm, I'm curious with, so you said it like kind of 20 years ago, you started this side project. Was that in, was that whole project? What is PG wholesaling today? Oh, or God, were there oh, multiple God, iterations no. here and there? Okay, God, yeah, no, I, was, I I've had so many different kinds. The thing when you're an entrepreneur early on, I never said I was a successful one early on, right? Yeah, um, <laughs> very, very the, true. You know, you have shiny object syndrome and, you know, you you just, you don't know what you're doing. I never had a coach, at least that early on. I never knew anyone who owned a business really. And so I had a lot of businesses uh, that I did. I jumped around. I, I bought like franchises, different things. And so I was all over the map. Um, no, that stuff, this, the the consulting part didn't come till many years later when a system that I had worked out for myself to help me, um, I thought I had a problem. Like I was the one that was distracted and all over the place. And I finally put together a system that really helped me and really helped me uh, raise my income levels in my companies and things. And I started sharing that with people just in conversation. And I just, people were blown away. And I was like, oh my God, they're as screwed up as I am. They need this too. And that, that's where I started helping other people, but it was never a plan. Got it. Okay. So that, that answers one of the questions, which mostly would have just been why sales, like why sales training. So really this was more developed just from what you were doing, what you saw worked, and then you put it into a framework that you realized had interest and appeal and could make measurable yeah. success for other salespeople. Your friend being a wholesaler out in Midwest, kind of like the, the first case study. Yeah. And, and my stuff is less about, and you know, do I do sales training? I mean, I guess it, there's overlap there. I've never really considered myself a sales trainer. 
Um, I certainly talk about sales all the time because it's part of it, but my focus was always really for wholesalers initially was how do you actually run a business? Um, I think most salespeople fall short in, most salespeople need help running a business and most people who run a business need help with sales. It's kind of like the, it goes in both directions. And we got our initial success with the early people I was working with just here and there. Um, We did a lot of stuff that was common sense, but not in the industry, just common sense outside of the industry. Look, most of my, I know I'm going off on a little tangent here, but most of the wholesalers that I worked with early on, even the ones who were doing great with what we were doing, they lied to their companies about what they were doing. We were literally getting results and they couldn't tell their company. Now, we weren't doing anything anti-compliant or anything like that, but I don't think their companies would have gone for it back in the day. Um, but so we got, but we got a, a big majority of the sales just getting them to run an actual business, not just go, 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 activity, 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 drive in circles, make the milk run. Um, and so that was kind of the early success. And then we started piling other things on later that are now kind of a stable of what we do. Yeah, you know, it's sad is that in particularly in wholesaling, there's no range and scope of activity. It's like the people that have the highest calls or meetings always get revered. And it's, you know, practicing wholesalers out there. I myself had felt this when that is your, when when that's sort of like the only thing that you're measured on or perceived to be measured on from your home office, you waste more time trying to complete that or figure out how am I going to put these notes into Salesforce or how am I going to, you know, present what I'm doing in a way that's going to make the the home office happy without actually saying what is the most impactful thing that I can do today or in this two hour time frame to drive results for my business. So I guess enter your firm there with what you help in coaching. So I know we've kind of loosely touched on it as well, but um, PG wholesaling, which is productivity giant wholesaling, can you maybe just briefly describe it and some of the core tenets of that process? Yeah. Before I do though, I want to, you said something, if you don't mind, and you could edit this out if it's not any good, but um, I think where a lot of people miss the boat is you can't treat everyone the same. Meaning there's, you know, there was a time in wholesaling where wholesalers were information bottlenecks. Okay. Where information they their job was to disseminate the information about their product keep the story in front of people things like that and so there was definitely a time in wholesaling where you could almost draw a direct relationship between how many meetings you had how many times you you told the story right how many hours you spent in the car how many people came to the lunch you could almost draw a direct line between activity and results right there, there was that day in wholesaling um, and a lot of people, are still kind of reaping the benefits from that. But as you guys became, and I shouldn't say you, you're a recovering wholesaler, I guess now, right? But <laughs> as you, but, but as you, um, as the new age has come upon us and you're less of information bottlenecks, that process isn't as effective as it used to be. So there was a point, and I know where it comes from, where it was kind of like, yeah, man, if you play in traffic, get meetings, play in traffic, do a lot of meetings, you're going to get a lot of sales. And that was true. It's just not true anymore, um, at least for the people who are in the building phase, right? There's some people who will be able to ride this out for another couple of years. You know, oh, yeah, 1,000%. 1, just, 1, just through relationships. Yeah, um, no, we'll keep that. Keep that. We definitely want to keep that in here as far as, right? Like 
shifts that have happened in the industry. And I like that phrase you use, which is the information bottleneck. And I think you had you had chatted about this in another podcast that I tuned in with, um, I think it was with you and Jeff Rudy as well. And I like that because it's acknowledging the transitions that are happening and the roles that salespeople have to play, no matter what product, service, or industry that they're a part of. And absolutely, I think part of my opinions and the way that I view the world is coming from a generation of wholesalers that missed that boat. I don't want to say missed yes. that boat. Completely like, understand. Yes. But it, it was like, like I would, I would observe people that had built their territory or had been in the field for, let's say, you know, 20 years. And I'm like, holy shit, abs- mad respect for that. You knocked on doors, you, you called as many people, and that has paid you dividends and fortunes in your career. But I can't, like, and they would come to the national sales meeting, pounding their chest. It's like, that's all you have to do. Call, yes. you know, call yes. them, email them, get in front of them, you know, know their family, be relational. I'm like that, that is alarmingly not true anymore. And, and as long as that was never acknowledged, it was always kind of a, a source of frustration. So more, yeah, more of treat, a tangent there, but. Yeah, no, no, this is it. But this is important. This, this is important because if, if wholesalers listen to this, especially newer ones, I think it'll give them a sense of relief. But I talk, whenever I talk, I have a lot of really good relationships with national sales managers, which I'm proud of. Meaning when I say good relationships, I mean, we can talk pretty honestly. Now, I would never say their name or whatever, blah, blah, but we can have pretty good conversations. And what I tell my, the national sales managers that'll hear me out is, I don't think you can train all the wholesalers on your team the same because the ones who kind of built their business during that time have the relationships existing now. What they need help with now is different than the person who's in the building phase of a new territory these days. And you can't treat them the same. They can't be getting trained the same. The same things don't produce the same ROI for them. Um, And so you know, we have that conversation a lot, right? I call it, when I talk to new wholesalers, newer wholesalers, I'll say, I, I always tell them to be careful. I'm like, just be careful that you're not looking at yesterday's lottery numbers. Because I believe that some of that stuff worked. And I believe those people telling you that have good intentions, but you're not going to be able to duplicate the way they built their business today. Look, COVID didn't change anything. It just sped it up, right? I yeah. mean, we- we, we were having success with virtual meetings long before COVID and they just weren't telling their company about it. <laughs> totally. Right, let, yeah. <laughs> well, let's, sorry, let, let's pivot over to, so the, the pgwholesaling.com, the, um, the kind of the, the program, like you're saying, like how I help wholesalers, right? And, and not as a promotional thing, but kind of how, how, how we help wholesalers. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, link, we'll, we'll link everything in the notes so yeah, people yeah, can check everything yeah, out. That's but, fine. Uh, yeah, yeah, how um, you help. So the foundation of everything we do is something called the pillar system, right? It's, it's what I built my, it's what I wrote the book on. It's what I, you know, it's what changed my professional life and, and a lot of other people outside of wholesaling that, that I shared it with. All the pillar system is in its simplest format, we call it the index card business plan as well, um, is again, I said earlier, I think a lot of salespeople, wholesalers that are very activity focused. I don't think many of them are good at actually running a business. And, and what I mean, and by the way, they haven't had to be good at running a business because like you said, you could do a lot just by grinding and you know, skills, talent, work ethic and go, go, go. And you kind of grind your way to a certain level of success. Um, what we brought in was this third piece, which was strategy, meaning, okay, you have the skills, the talent and the work ethic, but you need to intentionally determine ahead of time 
where to focus those skills and that work ethic to get the biggest ROI, right? The problem is that answer is different for everyone, depending on the maturity of their territory, their strengths, their weaknesses. And so what the pillar system does, it's a process we go through. And what comes out the other side is these weekly activities, we call them pillars. And the key to the pillars, though, is that these activities are in the wholesaler's control, meaning these are not goals or I hope this happens or they're not these strategies like, oh, I need to focus more on getting in front of the right advisors. Like that's not a strategy. That's just a hope or a goal or a mushy, whatever. So we go through this system and what comes out the other side is, you know, maybe five, six, seven, eight, whatever it is of these pillars, right? These activities that they control and by completing those activities each week, they know on Friday night, regardless of that week's sales, which can often be lag indicators, right? They know on Friday night that their business is moving in the right direction. They're one step closer. So we take what can be a very overwhelming territory task, no shortage of areas, people you can focus on. We go through a process and what comes out the other side is just this very simple weekly strategy. And by them focusing on those simple things, now that the whole goal is you have to get the right things, right? That's kind of the process. But when we come out the other side, they know, hey, man, this is all I need to focus on. Just do A, B, C, D, E, and F. And it doesn't matter if you're in wholesaling, any, it doesn't matter. But that's the foundation of what we do, right? That's what I spend the initial time on. Then on top of that, we've developed a lot of tactics over the years. And the reason the tactics, again, obviously I'm biased, but the, the reason the tactics that we've put in place have been have worked so well is my own ignorance, meaning I was never a wholesaler. I don't care what wholesalers have always done. I never have, right? We just looked at it like a business. Like if you had these resources, exactly what should you do to get a result, right? Um, the people who are really next level that are kind of in our ecosystem if you will, they don't focus on you know doing something just because that's what wholesalers do. And so we've come up with a lot of tactics that we've now piled that, that become part of the pillar system for a lot of them. Things like writing emails advisors respond to is, is one of the more popular trainings, right? Meaning, how do you actually write an email to get a response? Like working on that skill. And it out again, it's not that it's that hard to learn. But since most wholesalers were a zero, they've never even heard the word direct response copywriting, going from a zero to a three is a huge improvement in their business. You know, things we do like quick hit calls, right? These little four minute and seven minute calls that attract a lot more advisors than 45 minute hour long company webinars. So I think I've borrowed that idea. And again, we have a we have a mutual acquaintance who I believe is a, a client of yours that yeah. um, when I was in the field wholesaling, we we just caught up like many wholesalers do with your friends that either used to work with or you know live in different parts of the country now. You've all kind of gone your separate ways. And this was mid-COVID. And I was like, hey man, I'm I could I just want to do something that's actually gonna drive a result. And I was like, you know, <laughs> you know, like that's like a that, novel idea, right? Like crazy, crazy idea. It's like what what is someone gonna actually respond to? Because I can check that box of setting up an outbound email with a performance update. Here's our thoughts on the market. And you know that like you're going to get, the only responses you're going to get are 
please unsubscribe me from your list. That's basically right. the, the ROI. But he had shared this idea too, which was a very brief, hey, organizing a call on this subject. If you're in, I'll send you the calendar invite. It'll be like 10 minutes, something something like that, where I was like, okay, I, that's awesome. And I, I sampled it out. It actually did work, which is <laughs> go figure, right? Shocker, it works. Yeah. But yeah. that's that's a good way. And um, I'll, I'll go back to the other one too, which is that copyright um, email writing. Like, if I, if, if I had to jot down what I think is going to be an essential skill for a wholesaler, I would put email copywriting pretty high on that list because that's primarily how you can reach out and get people. And I'm not saying like you focus all your time being an email marketer, you, but that, you, you don't have to, you don't have to, but you have to, you've got to figure something out to be able to like put a process in place that it's good stuff that will actually get people to respond or engage with you and your firm in some way, shape or form. And I think someone who's a a 30-year-old wholesaler vet would probably laugh in your face and just dismiss that idea completely. Yeah. I mean, look, wh- when I, again, I, I think the reason, and look, if I'm being completely candid, all right, the success of what we've been doing, and we is, I guess I, I, I tend to talk in we's, but the success of, of this wholesaling, coaching, consulting business, whatever it is, it's due to two things. Neither of them I can take credit for, right? Number one is I was bringing things in from the world that in my world of building a business were just normal. But wholesaling, and again, this is not a knock at wholesaling because every industry is siloed in a lot of ways, right? Some of the biggest innovation happens when you just bring something from one industry into another, right? Something that's commonplace in one. But I started bringing in things that again, weren't genius. They were just stuff that was already working everywhere else. And I would just get amazed when I'm like, they're not doing this stuff. Like, so to me, there was big opportunity there. I mean, the idea of learning the basics of email copywriting. So someone responds, that wasn't a novel idea. And I don't consider myself a copywriting expert, but just by introducing my clients to a few key things made a huge difference, right? So the first thing we did was we brought in stuff from the outside world, which again, now is getting more accepted, right? But it wasn't years ago. But the second thing and is that, you know, wholesaling is a closed-knit industry. And the idea was when I helped someone or when we came up with something that worked, the word got around very quickly, right? And, and I was very lucky in that sense that you know, if I would have brought the same thing to software sales, for example, 99% of software salespeople don't know each other, right? This would not be as, as busy and as crazy as it is right now. So there was a lot of, there was a lot of luck involved, but um, yeah, we brought in a lot of stuff that was just, and I I do should say we, because a lot of my early clients were the guinea pigs, right? (laughs) Sure. Yeah. I got to help you out somewhere. And honestly, it's very similar with this podcast too. I say we, but it's Kind of like a crowdsource fun thing yeah. that we're, mm-hmm. we're just seeing it, seeing where it goes, you know? Yeah. I had, I had a group call this morning and we were all just sharing ideas and stuff, but I do want to go down one road that, that you, you didn't say the word, but you alluded to about getting results. I think the biggest thing missing for most wholesalers, like if, if a, I don't know who listens to this podcast, who's going to, but if an individual wholesaler listens to this or a manager and they just want to get the point across um, I don't think whole t- wholesalers spend enough time on empathy, right? What I call the big E, okay? Meaning they'll be consistent, 
oh, I sent out a hundred emails. I made a bunch of dials. I set up webinars. I, I did quick hit calls, blah, blah, blah. Empathy being, you know, put the ability to put yourself in someone else's shoes, because whenever my clients do something that doesn't work, and then I ask them to take a step back and say, you know, Bob, if you were the advisor, would you honestly care about that? Honestly, like put yourself in their shoes. Would you really return that call? Would you like, you know what I mean? And so the ability to slow down long enough and just say, well, maybe I should actually offer something that they give a crap about, right? And by the way, it's not usually another product. Oh, I need another large cap. Like you've got to earn the right for them to open their ears and and listen to you about that stuff. But, you know, the reality is that's advisors don't wake up in the morning going, boy, I hope someone shows me another large cap growth fund today, right? Or another variable annuity with an income rider or something. Like that's just not, and so- don't be surprised when they don't respond, right? I hear all the time, uh, it's because they're sick of Zoom calls and they're sick of emails. It has nothing to do with that. Zoom fatigue, baby. It, a it's good, not a nice, a nice Zoom fatigue is a good, a good cover up for being like whatever your initial outreach was sucks because if someone wants to make the time for something, they will. You just of have course, to do it the right way. They don't care if it's in, right? Exactly. The, the, the extreme example I always use is I say, look, you know, advisors get a billion emails, right? That's not the problem. I promise you, if you e- if you sent them an email and that email said something to the effect of, it doesn't have to be written well, that's the funny part, but written good enough, right? And it basically just said, hey, my friend just sold his business and netted $8 million. He's been looking for a financial advisor. Are you interested in speaking with him? I promise you they're going to respond to that email, right? I don't care how many emails they've got that day, right? They're going to respond to that email because what's inside is valuable, and so we spend a lot of time, and, and I would encourage anyone who's listening, you need to slow down and figure out what is actually valuable to an advisor. Not forget the business, forget the wholesaler advisor relationship. Just put yourself in their shoes and go, what do they care about? Because I promise you on a day-to-day basis, they're not looking for new products, right? Which is, yeah, I don't know if you've not. heard of the... Yeah, which is why the VAR strategy is another tactic that we've really done well with. And I can talk about that. We can, you know, I, I don't um, know what questions VAR, you have. But... VAR would be value-added resource, correct? That, that, I got that. Value-added reciprocity. Reciprocity, got Some it. companies yeah. don't want to use that R word, so we just change it to value-added relationship, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, yeah, that's, I, I like that. I mean, it's, which is, but that's the, the frustrating point probably for many wholesalers. And I'll, I, I'll ask about this as we continue going. Obviously, the nature of this discussion is more free-flowing than anything, but the conflict of slowing down and being more deliberate against what your managers or higher-ups are requiring of you. So there's, I felt like there, I can only, maybe I can only say this from my experience, knowing that wholesalers probably, you know, we share similar highs and lows, others out there probably felt similarly is you know it's like you you're given a, a weekly market commentary a white paper or a webinar to promote and then it's like just go blast that out the things right. that actually are meaningful and relevant are not they they very rarely fall into the exact same category of what your home office is kind of pushing down to you so it's like a weird exercise because you have to deviate from the norm but in the end of the day that's probably what's best for your business development and sales run yeah. And by the way, you have to understand that people have different agendas, right? I, in my opinion, it's it's good that the home office 
hasn't figured out for you in advance exactly what is valuable and gives you the script and say, just do this and it'll work because if they did, they wouldn't need you. Yeah. Right. If the home office could say, here's the strategy, here's the script, here's here's the email that's going to get them to respond. When they respond, I want you to do this. And let's pretend the home office was right about all of that. Guess what? They wouldn't have wholesalers. They'd be paying kids out of college $38,000 a year to do it. So it's your job as the wholesaler. They're counting on you. You're the one out and about to figure out what is valuable to advisors. Um, and, and look, when it comes to value add, which is a word that was, I'm sure it's been thrown out around your industry long before I was around, but I, I saw it very early on. I think the two biggest mistakes from value add are as follows. Number one, I don't actually think wholesalers spend enough time on it. Their, their ratios are off, meaning if you're valuable to, to an advisor, and I mean truly valuable, not you think you're valuable because you sponsor a social security seminar or you pay for golf or you have some retirement institute on your website with 48,000 modules that no one ever looks at unless you promote them, right? When I say it, it, you being truly valuable to an advisor that is the balloon inside your business. The more valuable you become, as that balloon expands, everything expands with it. It's easier to get in the door. It's easier to get business. It's everything becomes easier. So I actually don't think wholesalers spend enough time becoming valuable to advisors. I think the second place where a big mistake is made, and this has changed over the years, is that what is actually valuable is misaligned. Meaning, a lot of people think you have to be an expert in something or you have information that's valuable. No, your value, we call this the blue apron strategy. Anything you can help an advisor with, I guarantee you is already out there for free. Guarantee it. If it's on your home, if it's on your company's website, oh, we have a special module with this expert and he talks about you know, how to get more referrals or how to, okay, that's all good stuff and you need to do that. But That's not what's valuable. Information is not valuable in 2022. What's valuable to advisors is your ability to weaponize it. Your ability to take that information, put it in a format, which we call weaponizing. We walk through that process. So you can basically hand it to them on a silver platter and get them as close to a result as possible and just say, hey, Mrs. or Mr. Advisor, here, here's all you got to do is go to this website, search for this. That'll bring up the 30 people. You'll know they have money. You can then check it against this, boom, 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 and send them this email. Like You need to blue apron it. You need to put all the ingredients together for them. That is what's valuable to an advisor, right? You do the legwork to weaponize something and then give it to them in a weaponized format. That's what we all want, right? That's what we all want. We don't want another, oh, well, there's a six-part mini series on it, or there's a book on it. No, we want something that's already weaponized. And so I think there's a misalignment between what's actually valuable to an advisor. Yeah, totally. Yeah, there's always, and the best, the best wholesalers understand that. Of course. They they know, they know it's, 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 it's ironic. It's almost like the best wholesalers and salespeople know how to sell the resources they have at their disposal. Yes. You know, hundred percent. Yeah, so it's yeah, weaponize. I mean, the term weaponizing it, I think, is great. Obviously, we use it in a a good way here, weaponizing it for the power to unlock potential within your own business and sales run. 
but yeah, yeah. it's a great, it's a great, it's a, it's a, I, I use the word monetize it. Um, but I think blue apron is what most people can relate to, which is look, the reason you pay so much for those services like hello fresh and blue apron and all the meal prep services, it's not because their food is better. It, it has nothing to do with it. it th- that's not what you're paying for. You're paying for them to do all the legwork, give it to you in as close to a result as possible without actually going to a restaurant. And then all you got to do is the last step, like put it together, stick it in the oven, right? Yep. That's how you need to think about value to advisors. They don't want to, you know, most advisors don't want to sit through an hour webinar on, you know, whatever it is that, but if you say, hey, I got a simple two-step system or I got two really good ideas on client events you can use to actually, you know, get them to bring out guests or whatever that they will listen to. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Those are all good. Those are all good. I think notes on the interactions and some of the ways that you've actually structured more like formally how you work with wholesalers. One thing I I did want to pick your brain on, and obviously you, you don't have to name any like firms or specific clients, but you do have a very unique position. I think, in how you interact and engage with the wholesaling community. So in all of the work that you're doing, maybe anecdotally, what's the overall, what's like the pulse check? What's like the temperature like amongst your clients? How are they feeling about the role? How are they, when they come to you, is it more of opportunistic versus, you know, desperation? <laughs> Can you provide some of yeah. the insights into yeah. that? Cause I'm, I'm sure there's, it's never a one size fits all, but you've got such a unique, uh, you have such a unique view into this yeah. world that I would and- love to share that with the audience. And the answer, by the way, is it's changed. Um, I don't remember when I formally started working with wholesalers because I wholesalers would reach out to me here and there. I never, I never wanted to be in the business of wholesaling. I wasn't thinking about it, but I was helping people here and there. I think I may have formally started formally, maybe end of 14, beginning of 15, right? So at that time when I actually cared whether someone hired me or not, um, when I was actually doing it for money. Most wholesalers who hired me were A-type personalities, go-getters, and wanted mastery. And the reason those were the kind of people attracted to what I was doing was because they wanted to get better for the sake of getting better. Um, At that time, and I'm sure there's still a lot of this, but so many wholesalers were making so much money making the milk run, driving in circles, going golfing whatever that, yes, could they make more money working with me or with another coach or something? Yeah, they probably could, but they were making enough that it like they didn't want to get out of their comfort zone. They didn't want to change, right? No reason to change. There's so many folks that are making, there's, there's nowhere else. I think there's probably no other industry and you can validate or dispute this. No other industry where there's so many mediocre salespeople making so much money. Yeah. I say that in one of my audios. Oh, fact, really? I, said that, I, I said that at a national sales meeting about six years ago, and I pissed off the national sales manager, actually the head of distribution I pissed off. And then he came back later and he's like, you know what? Now that you say it, I'm with you. Um, yeah, yeah, and just, it was never meant as an insult. It was meant for me saying, take advantage of what you have. Like, take advantage of it. While this cash machine is on, take advantage of it. Now, fast forward, that has changed. I have people hiring me because they want to keep their job. I have people hiring me because they're doing what used to work and it's no longer working. Like maybe they were with one company and they move companies and they have a different territory and they can't get the same traction they used to. So the kind of person hiring me is very different now. 
um, than just the people who were go-getters, right? I mean, we had multiple clients in the early years who were, be, who were set seven-figure earners. We had multiple people who we were working with hit the seven-figure mark and do it. Uh, some of them did it multiple times, right? They were just go-getters. They, you know, now, yes, I'm getting a lot of like companies give me um, their new wholesalers to work with to at least get their weekly strategies up and running and stuff like that. Um, so, so the clientele has changed. Um, there's no doubt about that. The pulse of the industry is fascinating. Um, there are really some companies, and definitely won't name names, but that for whatever reason are still in the bubble. The winds has been the winds at their back, and things haven't actually changed that much, um, which is great, right? I mean, you know, if the winds at your back, keep rowing, whatever. I mean, keep going, yeah. whatever the word would be. Don't broke, don't fix it, whatever other expression we can yeah, use. Yeah, it's usually yeah. I mean, who wants to rock that boat, right? Everyone's making money, everyone's fat and happy. Um, but a lot of companies now are moving toward obviously compensations are coming down, right? In most companies, not all. Uh, comps are coming down. They're coming down year in, year out. Companies are starting to realize, like I have this saying that everyone's a hybrid. Like companies will say, well, this person's a hybrid or this person's an external or everyone's a hybrid now. Yep. Right. So uh, hybrid usually just means they're getting paid less to bring in the same dollar, which by the way, I don't blame the companies at all. This is the free market, man. It's like everyone loves the free market till they got to compete, right? Yeah. For if sure. you're the co- yeah, it, 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 what if, if you're uh, if you're the company though, but if you're the company and you can find a cheaper way to bring in a dollar, that's what you're going to do. That's how the world works, right? And so they're realizing, hey, we can have hybrids bring in, you know, they're starting to realize the the mathematics of it. But the pulse thing I wanted to talk to you about. So some companies are moving toward you know, the hybrid model, again, which is just a pay scale model. It doesn't really change how you wholesale. Um, but also a lot of them are moving now to salary and bonus, which, you know, not good for people who used to make bips on huge territories and, and things like that. But the interesting part is how many companies are still paying very well. And, and that's awesome too, right? And so here, here's my conclusion about the pulse of wholesaling right now. A lot. If you line up ten wholesalers randomly, they're having ten different experiences right now. This is very situational. There are some wholesalers who have a tough road ahead of them to make a decent income, and there are other ones that all they got to do is not get fired, and they're going to make a ton of money. Yeah, that's and, such a good such a good point. There is so much. There's so much nuance to firm product, yes. and the biggest factor that almost no one ever talks about is territory and opportunity set. And now I can caveat this by saying that, especially in a world where we're going, which is more home office influence or manager research teams driving the fund flows in any particular region, you could have, you could like, it's not like amongst the same wholesaler team, like the Southeast versus the Midwest is not even like, they might as well not be at the same company because you've got like a platform place strategy in the Southeast, not in the Midwest. And the wholesaler in whatever region is getting, you know, every single day, 60% of his sales run is from one firm, one product that was not, he's not influencing the, influencing those sales directly. So I, I'm agreeing with you that those, all those things kind of influence how each person's experience can be very, very different. And by the way, those people are, 
they and I have a lot of clients like that. And I always tell the clients who have the wind behind their back, I say, you're in the most dangerous position. Right. You could because you're you know, you're making great money. Things are going great. But when everything you do is based on a couple of things going, then you're you know, you're always in danger. Right. Um, yep. Look, my, my greatest joy in this industry is. Uh, first of all, I, I do want to kind of couch something that. What I'm saying now in 2022 is not news to most managers, right? Maybe five, six years ago it was, but there's a lot of very forward-thinking managers. I work with a lot of them, right, who get the changes and are trying to make the adjustments. Um, but I'm, I'm trying to couch this correctly here before I... Uh, well, we have we have the benefit of editing, so we'll uh, take as much take as much time as we need if it's a if it's a pause and a rephrase. In the, in the interim, I can. The chime thing in. I enjoy the most about helping wholesale—it's funny because coaching individuals, individual wholesalers, is the least profitable thing I do, and yet it's the thing I enjoy the most, right? Um, but my number one motivation when coaching a wholesaler is I want to be able to teach them how to run a business. So that no matter, you know, when I say run a business, not just the pillar system, but to look at it a certain way, to operate a certain way, to ask certain kinds of questions, to consider opportunity costs, you know, all the things that going into getting results, I want them to be able to take that skill set and no matter how the industry changes or whether they're in this industry in five years, whatever it is, I want them to be able to, you know, use that regardless, right? I don't want to like that's the Friday night feeling you talk about, which is you, you you conclude your week on a Friday night and you are able to spend the time you want outside the office because you know that you've positioned yourself to move your business forward throughout the course of your activity during the week. That's kind of like, yeah, right, that's the payoff. Uh, but that, yeah, I mean, to, again, to me, that's just a personal thing is I love when people start operating like a business because they realize how much of their effort is actually wasted and how much leverage is still left even in this industry. Right. E even in the current things with lower comps, we still have people who are crushing it in outsized ways versus the competition. And so there's still a lot of leverage points in this industry. I, tr I truly believe that. Um, but the tactics may change. Like right now, we have some tactics that are very hot. Wow mailers, NSTs, quick hit calls, VAR strategy. We do this thing called clarifying conversations. It's really popular. Like, how do you go from the soft yes of, oh, great, send me info to an actual sale. Um, but those are just tactics, right? And, and tactics change over time and what works and what doesn't work. But the fundamental is when you understand how to run yourself like a business and run your territory like a business and make good deten detentions, decisions and really simplify things, that'll last you forever. That It doesn't matter how the industry changes. And, and, and that's the part I enjoy. I mean, look, you know, writing emails, I write emails for my clients. That's part of what I do for certain ones, not all of them, but, and that's great. And that email might get them, you know, we have tactics we use in the prospecting front on getting in the doors with hard to meet people that are very successful. But the thing that we're doing now that's getting them those meetings, it year and a half from now might not be as effective, right? So although that stuff is fun and, and we're doing it, it's not the foundation of what we do. Got it. Yeah, which makes sense. It's, a, it's an ever-growing, ever-evolving landscape and the tactics that you use. Um, hopefully, there's some anchor ones, but if, if they're not working, then we'll adjust and try to find better ones.
Yeah. The, you know, something we can talk about depending on how much time we have is something called the ROI of getting it right. Maybe that's something we can address, but I think it's something that a yeah, lot of wholesalers. Let's, let's talk about it. We got a few minutes left here. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's let it rip. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to drive the whole conversation in case no, this, questions see, you have. This, this is, this is the entire, the beauty of this format is that it's, it's meant to be unstructured, <clears throat> you know, it's relevant day to day of a wholesaler's life, financial professional. So, um, this is recorded conversations, right? Like the amount of okay. times that I wish that I had a recorder on for just me talking with my wholesaler friends, even like my managers and stuff. I wanted sure. to bring that to the world. So that's kind of what this is about. So let's talk about that. And then we'll close yeah. out with some questions well, more let, about, let, more about let's, you. Before we talk about that last thing, let's help managers out too, right? Because this is, I know when wholesalers get together, sometimes it can be a bashing session, right? On managers. Yeah, I call it, uh, I call it filling up the hate tank. You just, yeah, yeah. You just fill it all up but, and then let it get out of your system. Even with things like, oh, they care about meeting counts and they're so caught up in meeting counts and activity metrics and blah, blah, blah. Look, managers have bosses too. And, and if you go high enough up in a company, eventually there's someone who's not connected to the field, right? And so, when sales aren't where they need to be or whatever, sometimes the only thing those people have to look at are, you know, activity counts and what's in Salesforce. And so you can't always say the, I've had managers confide in me that, look, I'm pushing these activity counts and stuff. I don't believe in them is what they'll say. But he's like, but if sales go south and we don't have these activity counts, you know, that's not good for me. And I'm a human too, right? Right. It's all, Um, it's, it's, you're working with, all, all, the only information at their disposal. Yeah. I mean, look, just like wholesalers, the managers, there's a, a big continuum. There's some really smart ones, some really forward thinking ones. And, you know, there's some really stuck ones and everything in between. Um, so the ROI of getting it right, this is, a, this is a cool little topic. So when we talk about these tactics, again, in my case, whether it's quick hit calls or writing the emails or, or whatever it is, what a lot of wholesalers do is they learn about something, especially these, uh, they go to these, like they have these like best practice things and someone got a $32 million trade and, oh, how'd you get the trade? And they tell this story about how they emailed the person's aunt and da, da, da. And then I sent them my shoe and then I, whatever. And look, that stuff's all great, but unless it's repeatable, I'm not interested, right? Unless the guy's in his basement calling people's aunts and sending shoes in the mail, you know, and, and consistently is bringing in business from that, then I'm not interested in hearing about the one-time thing, right? Um, but there are some really good tactics out there, but you have to, you have to figure it out. In other words, it's kind of like digging for gold, okay? If you know there's gold down there, if you know it beyond a shadow of a doubt, you dig a hole, you don't do it. You drill another one, you don't do it. You go in a different place, you don't do it. You might drill or, or or whatever they call it, 10, 11, 12 different holes and get nothing. And your ROI is zero. But if on the 13th attempt, you hit the vein of gold, the ROI changes completely, right? It's now all that gold divided by 13, right? And I think what people do is wholesalers, humans, is they hear about a tactic, they hear it's working for other people, they try it one time or two times, and I tried that, it didn't work, right? Let me tell you something about like quick hit calls. We literally just had a group call this morning and one guy's talking about having 80 people on the call, the other one, 200. And then you have other people that are saying I had nobody show up to my quick hit call, right? It's not the quick hit call itself. It's 
you know, is the subject line, is the title, right? What are you actually offering them? Is it valuable? And sometimes you have to go through three, four, five, six, seven iterations and kind of fail forward. But when you finally connect with the subject line that gets them to respond, the offer that makes them want to jump on there, the ROI becomes huge, if that makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) But that's what I mean by the ROI of getting it right. They don't stay with something, fail enough times to make it work. And I think it's this concept of quick ideas, quick tips, you know, best practices. Yeah. No, man, you gotta you gotta figure it out. I like one thing I like about that too is, it, it, especially if we're assuming that most of this is gonna be like email driven, or, or right, assuming you're gonna reach out to your sales territory that has right. a cu- couple thousand contacts, you right, can almost right. in your own mind gamify that. Like if I'm a wholesaler, or I, I mean, obviously I'm still in sales. I've like reworked similar email templates or similar calls to action. And I'll like sequence it out over a course of time and I'll just play around with it until I get it right. And then I'll just repurpose it when it's better, but it's kind of still that same audience and potential group. You just have to tinker around with it enough to be able to say like, well, why did that one work more than this one? Or what can I change here? You, And it's kind of the same audience set still. You just try to see what actually works and gets you that result. Look, there is no rejection. There's only feedback. And, and if you look at it that way, right? If you look at it that way, then these are experiments to figure out you know, what works. And the beauty is when you do crack the code, it pays in a big way. When I, when I first started reaching out to wholesalers, because the reality was I still had to build a business just because I helped a couple of wholesalers. I didn't know anything. I was so green. I was emailing, uh, no joke, I was emailing state farm people. Like, like insurance I thought maybe they were whole. I didn't really understand what a wholesaler was and which companies, because everyone called them something different. Yeah, they're right? so, yep. Everyone yep. had their own title. So it was for someone like me, it was very hard to even know where to start. But I built my entire wholesaling business initially on cold email, the entire thing. I didn't know anyone. Any, I knew a few people who didn't know anyone else because they were all kind of in the same company. And I used to have this written down, so I could be off, but I think it was like my 14th or 13th attempt. I don't remember, but I eventually landed on one single email that started this whole thing, right? Because I got most of my clients eventually by obviously getting results for people and then let the word spread. But I had to seed it. I had to get those initial clients and work with them and kind of prove this work. And I remember the email that finally landed. And it, it, it said something like this. It was very simple. It was like, I recently helped a seasoned wholesaler double his business in just under two years. Would you like me to email you the outline of what we did? Question mark. Like that was the whole email, right? And I'd like to say I'm a genius and that was my first email, but it wasn't. It was like, that was like the 14th or whatever version. I don't remember whatever version it was. And it was like, when I hit on that one, all of a sudden, I started getting these responses, send it over. Sounds good. Love to see it. Boom, boom, boom. And it was like, boom, we're off to the moon, right? Yep, for sure. I've had to but start reimagining The ROI that. of getting yeah. it right. That's how you got to do it. Yeah, just, yeah. And then, but that's great. Like no one would assume that that type of email copy would be the one that drives the responses that they want. You know what I'm saying? Like everyone's, everyone. Oh, almost, I know. <laughs> we, yeah, yeah, you know more than anyone else. The default is like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to include... 
it's going to be super polished, super formal. I'm going to probably yeah. have to get it compliance approved, which is a separate, completely separate discussion is like compliance approved notes, which yeah. any product based information, but, um, but yeah, it's great. Love to hear that. Good. to yeah, mo- uh, mo- Most people write emails. Like it's a letter to their grandmother. Like they, they write it with the assumption that the person's actually going to read it from top to bottom and read every word. And right. if that was true, their emails would probably work, but that's not, people go through their email. They don't read their email. The saddest, I think the saddest realization as you get that, you know, progress in a sales career, at least for me, is when you put together something and it's like, God damn it. If I was receiving this email, I wouldn't even give a shit. Like I wouldn't even care right. if I was getting this email and you just, it's, it's part of what we do. Or maybe one day you wake up and you're reactive versus proactive and you just decide to get something out for the sake of getting something out there. But it's so it's like part of the job, but it's so demoralizing when you do that. It's like, if I got this email, I don't even know if I would respond. So right. all part of building out message copy and, and all that. So definitely glad we could touch on that. Awesome. Well, before we before we send you off, I do like to chat about our guests, life outside of the office, You know how they spend some of their time. You talked before, still very involved in scuba diving. So maybe I'll ask this question. What's the most insane experience that you've had either like animal interaction underwater or anything kind of like notable from that. If you are still uh, active in scuba diving. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I don't scuba dive nearly as much as I'd like to. Um, Unfortunately being here in New Jersey, I usually have to fly somewhere if I want to do something fun. I will honestly say the craziest experience I ever had wasn't in terms of animals in my old career, wasn't actually underwater. It was above water. Uh, we used to use these electrofishing boats where we would shock the water and the uh, fish would float to the top. And then we'd scoop them up and turn off the electric and they'd swim away, whatever. We'd get what we wanted. And yeah, apparently two guys decided that it was okay to scuba dive in the Delaware River without a, without a scuba flag, which I don't know why you'd be scuba diving in the Delaware River near Trenton, New Jersey, but they were. Actually, it was a place called Phillipsburg, but um, yeah, so we basically electrocuted two scuba divers. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and they didn't know, they didn't know they were being electrocuted. They're like, yeah, we felt some tingle. So we'll, we'll go with that story. And since they're still alive today, all these years later, I guess I'm, it's okay to talk about it. I was about to say they're probably uh, the way that it was delivered. Obviously they were all right. And, uh, all fine, but there's probably a minor shock though. Right. If it's, it's not like if it's, if it's impacting fish or is it more significant? I- well, they, uh, good enough. They were far enough away from the boat that it, they just felt like a tingling. So, but it was that's uh, awesome. Yes. <laughs> well, well, that's uh that's a great way to cap it off. Well, Brian, I definitely want to say thank you for your time. Uh, love, love these types of conversations for just for any wholesalers out there that want to check you out or find more information. Where can they find you? Uh, PGwholesaling.com is the easiest way you can access. I have a whole bunch of free audios and now I just added videos yesterday all sorts of free training on there, pgwholesaling.com. Awesome. Well, whether you're an individual wholesaler or maybe a, a sales manager that wants to learn more, I think we've got it all covered. So Brian, this was a pleasure. I will let you get back to the rest of your day, but we'll hope to hope to get you back on again, maybe in a round table of sorts. Sounds good. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Find us on Instagram at internal use only podcast or email us at internal use only podcast at gmail.com.